Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. My family and I had the opportunity, I say opportunity like it's this amazing thing, but we went to Dayton, Ohio, okay, a couple months ago. And we went to Dayton, sorry family in Dayton that might be watching, you all are lovely and it's lovely there, really. But not so much at the end of December when we went. Well, we went and we stayed at the downtown, um, we stayed right near downtown at an Airbnb. And there was a YMCA there right near where we were staying. And because my two younger sons are in the middle of basketball season, I joined the Y so that they could go over there and and practice each morning before we went and got together with the family. They went over and they shot hoops for a couple hours in the morning to to practice, right? When I would drop them off there at the Y, there was a guy that worked the front desk every time we were there. And he was this really, really muscly guy, like this big dude, you know. And I started just chatting up with him a little bit, just, you know, tell me your story or whatever. And it turns out he was a football coach. Not only was he a football coach, but he had played football at a very high level. He had been a linebacker for Ohio State, which, I don't know if you're familiar, but that's a big school. OH? Okay. So he'd been a linebacker for Ohio State, and then he went on to be a linebacker in the NFL for the Cincinnati Bengals. Not as much cheering for that, but that's fine. Uh, he, he's a linebacker for the Bengals, so, so really, he had played at a very high level. If you're going to be in the NFL, that's, that's a big deal, right? And so I asked him, I, I, I said to him, oh man, this is really interesting, like, and I said, what does it take to be great at this? And he said, you have to love practice. He goes, because the games, like you love the games, right? But the games are like 5% of what you do. If you want to be really great, what you have to do is just love practicing. You stay late, you come early, you put in the hours when no one else is around. You just get after it over and over. You love the weight room. You got to love all of that kind of stuff. That's what I coach my kids. You got to love that kind of stuff if you're going to be truly great. And at first, I kind of thought the Allen Iverson thing. I was like, practice? We talking practice, man. Like, come on, practice? Like, Allen Iverson, Ted Lasso, however you know that speech. But it, it's, it, like, that's, that's what I first thought when I heard it. But I was like, no, that's actually right. I, I, I thought of uh, NBA star Damian Lillard who said this, if you want to look good in front of thousands, you have to work thousand, outwork thousands in front of nobody. You have to put in that time in, in quiet, in solitude. The place I remember doing this in college is not, not in, in sports, but it was in music. I was a music major in undergrad, and when you're in music major, you, you practice music. And, and I, so I was a vocal major, but I also liked piano. And when I got sat down to play the piano in the practice room, what I wanted to play was music like this. You're like, okay. And you're working at it, and you're like, oh, this is... Oh, this is Mozart. This is perfect. This is, this is I don't know, Kira Knightley walking across the, to go get something in a Jane Austen movie or something. This is, you're like, oh, th- th- this is so, so well done and so beautifully executed. And you're just like, this is incredible. This is the music that when you sit down and you want to learn, this, is, this, this sounds like perfection. But when you actually practice piano, it sounds a lot more like this. Ain't nobody want to do this. This isn't what you, but this is what you have to do. This is what it takes to get there. You just practice this kind of stuff over and over until you can get to the good stuff. And when you walk by the practice room of a college or whatever, that's what it sounds like, is people doing that kind of thing over and over. They're just 
putting in the time, putting in the work in order to become great and to perform. And while that's true of music and it's true on the court or on the field, it's true in all disciplines of life. If, if I go see you as a teacher and you're going to teach me something, I want to know that you've put in the work to really understand the thing that you're teaching me. If I go to you as a doctor, I want to know that you've done all the work as a doctor before I let you look at my body. If I'm, if I'm going to you as a counselor, I want to know that you understand things about the human body, about the human mind, and that you, can, you, can, you, know, you know the right techniques and methods to help me sort out my stuff and think through that. I, I want to know that you've put in the work quietly, privately, in solitude, some other time before this moment so that when you need to perform, you are ready to perform. In this series that we've been in, that we started just a few weeks ago, we're talking about rhythms, and we're talking about spiritual rhythms or spiritual disciplines that all Christians need to take on. And, and I see these, and we see these at the church, as foundational to discipleship here. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus at Area 10, these are the things we're asking of you and saying, hey, this is the the rhythm that we are on, the pattern that we are in. These are the things that we practice regularly as a community in order to grow and to become like Christ. And so in the weeks past, we talked about identity two weeks ago. And last week, we talked about some disciplines of disengagement, like we said prayer, fasting, giving, these sorts of things. We talked a little bit about that. And those are some of the classic spiritual disciplines. And today, I really, really want to drill down on the idea of studying the scripture and how spending that time um, shapes us and makes us who we need to be. Now, on the one hand, it's really easy for me as a preacher to get up here and be like, y'all need to study the Bible, because every preacher has said that ever in the history of ever, basically, and, and that's kind of the thing. So a lot of preachers that you would expect will say, oh, studying the scriptures is an important thing, and, and so you just sort of go, yawn, we know, preacher guy, you're going to tell us to read that old dusty book, I got it, like I know I'm supposed to, you know, I've, I've made the comparison before, it's like flossing, when your dentist tells you to floss, you're like, yeah, I probably should do that, probably not going to do it, but thank you, you know, so I get it. But it's not just the fact that, uh, that, that I'm a preacher telling you, hey, really, let's, let's study the scripture and dig into this thing. I actually think in this cultural moment in American history, in the West, in the 21st century, in this moment, this is the best thing I could give you. Because we have all sorts of nonsense flying around in culture, and we are, we are so squishy with the whole entire concept of truth and authority and, and, and pegging our lives to anything other than ourselves, and it is not good out there. And, and, and honestly, the Bible is the best thing I could give you as a source of authority for your life, and is the best tool I could put in your hand so that you will not ruin your entire life. Now look, I love self-help. I'm a fan. I read the books. I've learned from Tim Harris and Cal Newport and all of these others. I can get into that stuff and we can read that and we can do the podcast and we can geek out about that. I like all that stuff too. But what I'm telling you is, at the end of the day, I'm going to reach higher than all of that stuff, which is here now and will be forgotten in a generation. I'm aiming higher at the wisdom of the ages, the truth of the scripture that has endured for millennia and it has endured for very good reasons. So when I tell you I want to study the scripture, I'm trying to help you, me, all of us, I'm trying to help us all connect our lives to something that's going to outlast tomorrow, to something that that really matters and has deep truth to it and has wisdom to it, because this is so badly needed in culture right now. Because we've torn down that truth, we've torn down the history of our country, we've torn down all the things, and then we we wonder why we don't get along, because we're not connected to anything. And so um, I, I want to give you this to, to help us get rooted in truth here and studying the scripture, but I also want to give you this because life will throw us some curveballs, and you've seen this 
over the, over the past couple, past year or so, life throws you curveballs and stuff happens that you don't expect. And how are you going to be in that moment when, when the curveballs come? We all think we're going to be ready for the moment and rise to the occasion, but it's not true. The Greek poet thousands of years ago, Archilochus, wrote these words, and I've thought about them a lot over the last year. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Greatness, the ability to perform on a court, a field, and on a stage, uh, in the classroom, the ability to perform in those moments is not made in that moment. It's made quietly, in solitude, when we study you know, before, just us, between us and God before. So, so I, want, I want to get into that um, today. And to do that, I want, I want us to look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to his protege, a guy named Timothy. Timothy's a, sort of a, maybe like a middle-aged pastor at this point. Paul's a little older. And, uh, and he's teaching him about, um, how, about teaching the Scripture to, to his church, to his congregation. Paul is a pastor at a church in western Turkey in Ephesus. And so uh, Paul gives Timothy this advice right in the middle of his letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, you can read that in the scripture, um, or you can go home, we'll, we'll put it up on the screen for you. So uh, when you go home, you could read the whole book, but I just want to read you this one section, we'll put it on the screen, it says this. But as for you, Paul telling Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. First of all, Paul tells Timothy, hey, um, remember what you have learned from the scriptures that have made you wise for salvation. Now, now understand when Paul says the scriptures are the sacred writings, he's not talking about what we call the New Testament because they're living that. They're in it right then and there. He's talking about the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, the Torah, what we would call the Old Testament. He's talking about that. Timothy was steeped in that from his mother and his grandmother. They taught him the Jewish faith, and so he knew that. And Paul tells him, hey, those scriptures that you learned were useful, and they made you ready for Jesus. Now, that's weird if you've ever read the Bible, because you would think the Bible doesn't actually mention Jesus until the New Testament. And Paul is saying, nope, the Old Testament was giving you hints foreshadowing it was the, the the old testament is like the little bonus scene at the end of the marvel show you know like after the credits it's like giving you this like hey there, there's this whole other universe thing we're going to talk about here in a second and and paul is saying this is what this was like that that you were steeped in the old testament and it was and it's there which just side note this is why we read the old, old testament and teach it because it also points us to jesus yes there's stuff in there we don't like. There's murder and there's polygamy and adultery and there's some rough stuff in the Old Testament. But we teach through that and we look at it because we go, how does God deal with sin? How does he deal with us? What principles have changed? What things are like unchanging? Like we look at that stuff in the scripture and it's very valuable for us to dive into that. So Timothy is raised in that and Paul reminds him of this. Hey, this was your roots. This got you ready to hear about Jesus. And then listen to what he says in verse 16. This is, this is actually one of the first scriptures I was ever taught in middle school. Is this. All scripture is breathed out by God and, pro- and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All scripture 
It's breathed out by, by God, that, that breath, that spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is at work in all of the scripture that we have. And it's useful for four things which we'll break down, but it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He kind of says these th- things. But I just want you to notice here first that he says all scripture is, is breathed out by God. This means that the weirdest little text in Leviticus of some Old Testament obscure law about whether or not you should get tattoos or what kind of fabric your clothing should be made by, and Revelation with all of its oddness and, and weird stuff about the future and about what God's going to do and angels and bowls of wrath, and then the Gospels in the middle and the poetry and the Old Testament prophets and the things they're talking about and the letters Paul wrote and that other people wrote All of that stuff is breathed out by God. It is God's word to us. Yes, it is written through people, but it is what God wanted us to know about humanity and about life and about him and about all that. It is all breathed by him. And I say that because people want to want to pick and choose on this so so badly. They want to say, Oh, well, well, Jesus never taught about that. And it's like, well, that is taught about in the Bible, which Jesus wrote. It's all from him. You can say, well, Paul said this and Jesus said this. No, Jesus inspired Paul to write what he wrote. All of it comes from God. It's all breathed by God. Yes, there are uncomfortable things in there. For sure, I understand that. There's awkward stuff. There's culturally weird things. There's stuff we wish weren't in there. But we have to wrestle with it and understand why it was written. Why did they say what they said? And who is the audience? What was going on? And to understand the context. This is the good work that we do when we study the scriptures. We get into that stuff. And so Paul instructs Timothy and says, hey, this has all been breathed by God, all of it, even the parts we don't like, right? Um, and, and, he, and he basically says there are, there are four things that the Scripture does. And I want to break these down for us. Number one, the Scripture teaches us. Now, if you go to the Bible and say, I wonder what it would teach me about finding a job. No, that's not the best. I wonder what it might teach me about finding a spouse. Uh, maybe there's some qualities in there you might want to look for, things like that. But it's not, it has not a lot of commentary on which social media app is going to be best for dating. It does, it's not that kind of thing. Um, there are questions we might go to the Bible. And, we, if we're going to, and I've always said if we're going to ask an unbiblical question, you'll get an unbiblical answer of, of the Bible, right? But the Bible does speak to us about who we are, why we are, what we were made for, our, our core identity that we talked about a few weeks ago, who God is, why he put us here, what he, what he desires for humanity, why the universe is, is here as it is, what is the nature of good and evil, why is there suffering, what happens when we die, is there life after death, what are we hoping for? The Bible answers those questions. And that is a good thing. We put those big blocks into place, and then everything else can be a pebble that falls around those big blocks. But we've got to get those big blocks into place. And that's what the Scripture does. It teaches us on those things. And the Bible claims to be an authority on those things. It doesn't claim to be a couple good thoughts. It doesn't claim to be somebody's opinion one time long ago. It actually claims to be the truth with a capital T from God from our Heavenly Father. It is giving us truth. And I think that's really important today. Part of the reason we argue so much right now is we lack agreement about anything being authoritative. If we want to argue about any, pick anything in culture that you want to argue about right now, all the stuff kind of swirling around in politics and the media, uh, the, the problem we run into is that we, we don't have anything authoritative that we agree on. 
It used to be in the, in the country, we'd go, well, we're arguing about politics, that's civic stuff. Let's agree upon the founding fathers or the Constitution or these sort of things. Nope. Let's agree that what the country was founded for. Nope. We don't agree on that stuff anymore. And so we just end up arguing. And what happens is you give your side and you support it with a couple articles you read or you Googled a second ago. And I'll give my side and I'll support it with a couple articles that I read or Googled a second ago. And we're good. And we just kind of go back and forth and we miss each other. And we just keep arguing past each other because we don't actually agree on any authority about it. What we think is... My view is well thought out and researched and I am unbiased and I am connected to the truth. Your view is biased and cherry-picked. That's what we think, right? You've you're, you got weird sources and you're just all cherry-picked and biased. Mine, though, really solid. It's what we believe. It's, what, it's, what we, what's, it's what's going on. And, 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 and we don't agree on anything authoritative. And I, I, I think... The, the reason is that is we have no truth that we're actually tying anything to. If I say to you something is good or bad or right or wrong, well, good or bad compared to what? Right or wrong compared to what? What are we talking about here? Are we just, because if we don't have any, this is ultimately good, this is ultimately bad, this is ultimately right, ultimately wrong, if we don't have any of that, really just what we're arguing about is our preferences. I like this more than I like that. And you like this, and I think this might be a little better than that. And then you're going to be like, but I think this would be better than that. And that's the way we do it. We're not connected to any source of authority and truth. And we end up arguing at each other, and we're just arguing about our preferences. We sound like people arguing about who is the greatest of all time in sports. Because you could go like, who's the greatest of all time? Oh, Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time. Serena Williams is the greatest of all time. And it's like, look, they play very different games. We're not even talking about the same thing. What are we talking about when you say the greatest compared to completely different sports? And that's kind of what we sound like when we're arguing about almost anything now around good and evil and, and right and wrong. And so much of our angst comes from how do we discern what is good and what is right and what is wrong? And because I only have so much time, money, and energy in my life, and I need to spend it on something, and I want to spend it on the things that are good and right and true. And you do too. And so we, we have this angst of, am I doing it right? Or is this good? Or is this better? Or maybe I should do it a different way. Um, and it, and it's, really, it's really difficult. And the scripture comes along. This, this book comes to us not as the opinions of the ancients, but it reveals itself to us as this is, a, this is a revelation from God. This is from our creator. This is from the one who made us and who's saying, hey, this is the way I, I intended life to work. This is like the operator's manual for you. This is how you know what's going on in the world and what I'm, what I'm doing. This gives us guardrails. This gives us a road to, to ride on. This gives us meaning and shape for our lives. Let me ask you the question. Are you living a good life? And how would you know? That's the second question. How would you know? What answer would you give for that? Yes, I'm giving, living a good life according to what? Because of what? The scripture comes along and gives us that. Are, are you living a good life? Well, let's define good. Are your beliefs true? Well, let's define truth. It's just not that easy anymore. There's so much nonsense flying around at warp speed. We get lied to in culture so often I mean, it's, have, you, have you felt this over the last year or more? Have you felt, um, and maybe I'm paying attention more um, because I'm, you know, as I, the, the closer I get to that, like, get off my lawn age, maybe I'm just paying attention more. 
Um, but have you, have you felt the, like, the pace at which the lies come? And, and, and I wanted to give you like, a, a current political example, but then you're going to be hung up on like, which political party I picked or something like that, and I don't, wanna, I don't want us to get off track here with that because it's happening all over the place. But there, there's literally things where people have gone like, this was not true, and I'm like, I saw it two weeks ago. You're going you're gonna to tell me two weeks ago that what I saw, just I didn't see? Like, what happened didn't happen? Like, are we doing this? How quickly? And it's like, oh, well, it's like, there's, th- like, I'm being lied about something two weeks ago. Oh, but look at this Instagram post. This is so interesting. And off we go. And it's like, what is going on? We are, we are unhinged from, from truth. And so when I go back to the scripture and I study it and I read it, it teaches me what is true. Yeah, about the big questions, but it also teaches me what is true about money, about sex, about gender, about, um, uh, about leadership, about power, about greed, about the human heart. Like, it teaches me a lot of things that are very needed and useful in the world. So that's number one, the scripture teaches. Paul also tells Timothy, the scripture, he says, reproofs. But another translation will say rebukes us. Sometimes the scripture steps on our toes. This is what it's like when I read the Bible. I don't know how it goes for you, but it it lands one of three ways when I read a section. If if, if I was to say, go home and read Galatians 1 today or whatever, it's going to land on you one of three ways. It'll land on you like it, it, it won't move the needle for you. It'll be like, that's weird. And then I just, I don't know what to do with that. Okay, that was interesting, I guess. I don't know, it's weird. Okay, might land that way. It might land of, oh man, like this is what I needed today. This is it. Like I'm going to, I'm putting this on social media right now. I'm going to get a picture of my coffee cup and my journal and my Bible and a pen and I'm going to get it at a good angle. I'm going to put a good filter on and I'm putting it out there, hashtag blessed, hashtag quiet time and I'm, and this is it. Because God spoke to me through these exact words today. And we do that. And sometimes I read the Bible and it's like a pebble in my shoe. And I'm like, oh, what? Oh. and that's not the fun stuff. That's like, I don't, this makes me uncomfortable. And Paul tells us, this is what it does. This is not a bug of the scripture. This is a feature. It rebukes us. It should not make, it always feel com- make us always feel comfortable. I teach the scripture up here. Anybody who teaches in this church teaches the scripture. It is, and if we just read the scripture to everyone and go, this is what it says, it should make us uncomfortable. And if you're at a church where it always feels comfortable, it's probably not teaching you the whole thing because there's stuff there. Sometimes the scripture is a cold, it's like a, a glass of cold water on a very hot and dry day and you're like, oh, this is so refreshing. And sometimes it's that pebble in your shoe. And part of the value of it is it reproofs or rebukes us. When we read the scripture, we read things where it says, stop doing that. And you're like, I do that. And the scripture's like, yeah, stop it. We're like, oh, crap. I'm going to close this. Maybe I'll try something else. Um, let me ask you, this is, is weird, but where else can you get the stop doing that in life? Now, I know, like, maybe your mom or somebody in your family might, it might you, know, you probably got an uncle who'll tell you what, like, there may be someone in your family that'll tell you stop doing that because they know you and they love you and they tell you to quit. I, I get that. But, like, generally, we, we, we shy away from that kind of rebuke. We shy away from anyone telling us to stop doing things. And we say, don't judge me. Stay off me. You don't know me. 
You know, we, we kind of do the, that, that thing. We do the Tupac, you know, only God can judge me kind of thing, right? Like back off. Um, but, but the truth is, like, we're all, cap- can we be real? We're all capable of being kind of crappy. Not you, you're really nice, but you're all like, who is he just pointing at? <laughs> like, not you in particular, you right there. But we're, we're all capable of being kind of awful. We have, we have stuff. And the scripture comes along and goes, yeah, this, shines a light on it, says this, this is the thing to change. Where else are you going to get that? Now, we have to be careful with the rebuke from scripture, especially in a church, right? Like, we don't want to beat people over the head. Um, we don't want to blast people. Um, I get that. People don't change just because you told them, well, I told him. And I was like, I bet he never talked to you again. I bet that worked, right? Like, that, I get that. That doesn't work. But we all need rebuke from time to time, and the Scripture does that. It challenges our beliefs and values. This might be shocking to some of you. I don't know. There are beliefs that we hold as Americans that are just kind of in the air that are very unbiblical. There are beliefs that we hold that they're just not good. And they're the things, and some of them might be the things where we're like, I mean, everybody believes that. Yes, they do, and it's terrible. Right? Like, there are those things in, in culture. Everybody believes this. Yes, and maybe everyone shouldn't. It doesn't make it right. You know what everybody believed in the late 1930s? That eugenics was the way to go. It was settled science of the day that what we should do is sterilize people that we don't want to reproduce. We believed that as a culture. Everyone believed it. It was the settled science. It was the thing. And, and, and in the midst of that, if, if people had opened their Bible, and people were, but if people opened their Bible, they would read, oh wait, all of us are created in the image of God, not just the weird, not just the perfect ones, but even the imperfect ones. We're all created in the image of God. The scripture rebukes the culture. It rebukes things that we do. Here's the thing. Culture is going to see things a certain way. And all of us have the ability to be deceived. What you don't want really in your life is to never be challenged. To never be rebuked. Every single one of us needs it. And when we read scripture, we get what the scripture actually calls wounds from a friend. The, the, the Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds from a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy is going to kiss you. An enemy is going to tell you, you go, girl. You look amazing. You're wonderful. You're perfect. You're awesome. That self-esteem build-up thing. En- enemies can do that. A, a faithful friend might wound you, but it's, but it's the good kind, and it can actually make you better. So one, the Scripture teaches us. Two, the Scripture rebukes us. Number three, the Scripture corrects us. So when I, the difference between rebuke and correct, rebuke is this is what is wrong. Correct is, and this is what to do about it. So the scripture says, this is what is, this is what is wrong, this is what is, you need to do next to fix what is wrong. It, it points out something. And, and this is where some of the real work is, because any of us can point out what's wrong. That's easy. Go to your company meeting right now, if they have an all-company meeting, and they say, anybody got any issues? Man, it's not even hard to figure out the issues. Well, we do this in the break room. That's terrible. These reports are dumb. I don't like the way this is structured. Why do we keep doing this? I feel like we're on the wrong track. Like, it's easy to, to sit back and notice what is wrong 
it's a lot harder to then go, and here's what could be or should be. Here's what is, is right. And the Scripture does that. It generates solutions for us. Um, the, the, uh, King David wrote this in Psalm 119. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Why does he study it? Why did he memorize it? Why did he learn the Scripture? That I might not sin against you. There's a power there. That if we're going to beat sin, if we're going to change, if we're going to grow, if we're going to become all that God wants us to be, you got to know it and then let it change you. Because when you, when you really let it seep into your, into your cells, that's when you're going to start not sinning against, your, against God. Everybody in this room struggles with sin. From the nicest best person in the room to the worst person in the room you know like we all struggle no matter who you are if I could play a video of your life for the last seven days on the screen right now and and I, and I could play a video of every thought you had everything you looked at everything every place that you went I'm guessing that for all of us there would be a moment where you would be like can we just fast forward this part hey don't show that part this is when the camera should pan away because I was doing that, and that's, we all have stuff. None of us is perfect. We all struggle with sin. And how do we fight it? We treasure up God's word in our heart. We store it up in our heart that we might not sin against. Because when we, when we, when we go to the scriptures, it, um, it, it names those sins, it brings them to light, and it doesn't let us get by with nonsense. Um, think about, think about uh, just an example of, of a sin. Think about lust, right? We can go, okay, I shouldn't lust. And then we can quickly go to, well, I'd never cheat on my spouse. I don't commit adultery, which is what they did in the scriptures as well. In the, old, in the New Testament, they were like, well, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Check, I'm not doing that. And then Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and goes, mm, actually, the problem's deeper than that. It's in your heart, and it's about lust. It's about looking lustfully at a woman not just committing adultery or not. There's a, there's a deeper issue there because he won't let us get away with, I'm fine, I just, did, I just checked a few boxes and on the surface I look okay. When we're talking about inside-out transformation and discipleship to Christ, we're talking about a holistic thing and Jesus cuts deep. And he cuts like a, like a surgeon when we go to the scripture. It cuts us like a surgeon. Um, when surgeons cut, they cut you for healing, not to hurt you. I've had a couple surgeries in my life, and I'm amazed at what doctors can do. I'm amazed at the nursing staff that take care of you there. My experience of surgery has basically been this, I, and it's a couple times. I lay down, and then usually a nurse comes over to me and says, we're just going to give you a little something to help you relax. And I say, cool, when are we doing this? And she goes, it's done. It's over. And I'm like, what? Somewhere between we're going to give you something to relax and I wake up and my mouth is dry and it's over, I lost, a, like, I lost hours of my life in there. Something happened. And, I, and I'm going to be walking it off for days, whatever they did to me in those hours. It was, but, but that's the way I like surgery. That's like my favorite version is we're going to give you something to relax and me going, when is this do done? And she being like, it's done. 
That's, that's the way those should go. It's great. Because what I don't want to have happen is to wake up during the surgery. Because if I was to wake up during surgery, and God bless the anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists of the world to do this right. But if I wake up during a surgery, and this has happened to me one time, and I started babbling to the nurse who actually was a friend of mine. I started telling him about, I don't know, like my nose or something. I don't know. So I, I, I started uh, saying what a wonderful friend he is for doing this for me. This is what I was telling the, the guy who was hammering my nose. Um, uh, let me get back on the story. Uh, if I wake up in a surgery, like, if you wake up and someone's cutting on you, you'd be like, stop it! Ah! Don't do that! But they're not cutting you to make it worse. They're cutting you to make it better. And at any moment during the cutting, we would be tempted to say, please stop. But the truth is, they're going to cut, and they're going to bind up the wound, and it's going to heal, and you're going to be better. And this is what the Scripture does to us. It cuts, but it, but it surgically cuts, and it binds up the wound, and it heals us, and it makes us better, and it makes us stronger. And finally this, Paul says to Timothy, the Scripture trains us in righteousness so that the man of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. Teaching is one thing. But if you've taken my transformation class, one of the things we talk about is information does not lead to transformation. Just knowing the thing doesn't change your life. That's not, that's not how it works. It is consistent training in it over time that brings about the change. You practice little by little. You, you practice your jump shot. You practice. Wilkin, we do, uh, there's a women's Bible study doing a, a Hebrews study on Jen Wilkins right now. Uh, we have done Jen Wilkins studies here the past two summers in Genesis. We're going to do the Hebrews one this coming summer. Uh, it is fantastic. She is a great teacher of the scriptures. Listen to what she said. I love this quote. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. If we want to feel deeply about God, we must learn to think deeply about God. We must make a study of, we must make a study of our God, what he loves, what he hates, how he speaks and acts. We cannot imitate a God whose features and habits we have never learned. We must make a study of him if we want to become like him. We must seek his face. This is the point. We get into the scripture so that we can learn and know him and be in relationship with him. Now there's a, let me give you the challenge with this. Um, starting on Easter Sunday, we're going to jump into the book of 1 Corinthians. I can't think of a better book that better represents the American culture than 1 Corinthians. There's a lot in there. And over the course of the rest of the year, we're going to go through 1 Corinthians and fair disclaimer warning, it will hit all of the controversial things you want to talk about and some of the ones you don't. Uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to dive into that. My challenge is read that book. Start reading it now. Our staff and elders just read it. Read it now. We are going to get into that starting on Easter and going for most of the rest of the year as a church, and we're going to dive in and study it. Do that. Sign up for one of the summer Bible studies to go through Hebrews. That'll be great. Maybe just this week, read the gospel. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see what's there. Find a rhythm for your reading. Find a time of day that works for you. For me, it's morning. Uh, for you, it might be before bed, might be on your lunch hour. Find this space where you go, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time reading. Read half a chapter. You don't have to like knock out a whole book of the Bible in, in one sitting read a little bit. I like to write questions as I read. A lot of times I'll read a verse and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, what is that? I do that. And I went to Bible college and I still sometimes I'm like, that's weird. Here's a, here's a preacher tip. Sometimes I just Google it out there for sure. But it's, it's a starting point. Like, okay, 
Because sometimes stuff hits you so from left field, you're like, what is this, right? Um, uh, but, but get into a simple rhythm of studying the Scriptures. Um, and if, and if, we, if we do this, if we study, our, we, will, we will be taught by the Scriptures, our sins will be pointed out, they will be corrected, and we will be trained, and, and, and we will be connected to truth. And, and we do all of that, um, remember the quote, we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. We, we will do all of these things in studying the Scriptures so that when the moment comes, we're ready for it. Because you can't get ready for the moment in the moment. It's, it's for when the moment comes. And, and let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. There's a pastor named Dave Stone. He actually just retired as a preacher in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And um, he tells this story from his childhood. I couldn't remember if I've ever shared this with you, but if I have, uh, it's still good. So um, this is a story that Dave Stone tells about his childhood when he was six years old. He says this. When I was about six years old, Our family was in a terrible car accident. We were in a head-on collision in a rainstorm. Both cars were going over 50 miles an hour. The oncoming car lost control and hit us head-on. A boy in that car was killed. In our car, my brother and I were not badly injured, but my parents were. My father's glasses were shattered, and he had to have 21 pieces of glass removed from his eyes. My mom suffered a skull fracture and was bleeding profusely, and we didn't know if she would live. She spent the next week in an ICU unit fighting for, ICU unit fighting for her life with a 50-50 chance of survival. But as long as I live, I'll never forget sitting in that car out in the middle of a field. In the distance, we could hear the sound of sirens. And while we waited there, in shock, my dad broke the silence and he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... And he went through the 23rd Psalm. I can still remember his inflection as he quoted, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's one of the earliest and most vivid memories of my childhood. So let me ask you this. When the storms come, because they will, when you get served the papers, when the money runs out, when you have to close it down, when she walks away, when he gets hooked on drugs, when the sirens are blaring and the lights are flashing, what words are going to be on your lips in that moment? Because my guess is, in those moments, you're going to need something more substantial than a Lady Gaga song or a meme that you saw. You're going to want something more grounded than that, something more real, something more true. This is why we study the Scripture. Because it's the only thing that will get you ready for a moment like that. Because one day we're going to all need it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for writing down the truth, that we don't have to totally guess or wing it, but you wrote it down so that it's there for us to know and to learn and to follow and swallow and let it become part of our being, and I pray that it does. God, um, it is of no use to us if it is left unread. So God, may we be a church that engages this stuff as it is our, our best refuge from a culture so unhinged from truth. 
may we engage this and really learn it and know it and love it and let it, God, ultimately let it change us and let it help us know you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.